The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to be in verses 17 through 21, okay? What are we doing? We're going to start a short series on missions tonight. We're going to be looking at this for the next three weeks. Uh, The term missionary is not found in the Bible, uh, but the word ambassador is. And we see these words as almost interchangeable, and I'm going to show you why. Uh, So what I want to do is just read some scripture together. We'll get our bearings, and we'll lay some foundation uh, before we go further, okay? So I hope you turn to 2 Corinthians Uh, We're in chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, like if you don't own one, we have lots, and we like to give them away for free. So see us at the Connection Kiosk after the service. If you don't have something to follow along right now as we study God's Word, we will have the verses on the screens for you, okay? So like I said, I'm in 2 Corinthians 5, and I'm going to start reading in verse 17. We're going to go down to 21 together, okay? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Well, I hope that's good news to you, man. That's good news to me. Mm, Okay, there's more. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Praise God for his word. Amen. So there's a couple things there. I mean, we could stay there a long time. I get in a lot of trouble. But a couple things I want to point out. Verse 18, it says that he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And verse 20 says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. And so we see clearly here in these scriptures that the common misconception that uh, it's kind of, you know, God's just up here ethereally doing things. We don't really know how. You'll hear God works in mysterious ways. Now, I'm not, to say, I'm not trying to say that God never does things that we're not going to understand. That happens every minute of the day, right? There's lots that God thinks and does that's above our pay grade. However, it's very clear. He's made very plain how he seeks to bring his message of recon- reconciliation into the world. He has made us, his people, ambassadors of the message of reconciliation. And what a beautiful message it is. It's the best message, right? It's the most precious message that will ever reach human ears. And we have the esteemed privilege of having it upon our lips by the grace of God alone. Now, an ambassador, maybe that's not language uh, you're super familiar with, that's someone who represents their country in a foreign land. So if an ambassador from the U.S. goes to, say, uh, pick your country... Uh, then they're representing the U.S. there, or vice versa, okay? So this whole earth is a foreign land to those who belong to the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus. And he, by the way, is the good king that reigns over that kingdom. So as followers of Jesus, we are called to live and work in this earthly country as representatives of our perfect and eternal kingdom. So for us, this is basically what we think it means to be a missionary. Some think that missionaries are only those who leave their earthly native country to go and spread the gospel in another. 
And though these foreign missionaries, they deserve our honor and our support for sure, as they navigate the challenges of spreading the gospel all over the world, we also believe that every Christian, wherever they are, is called to live as a missionary, focusing on spreading the good news about Jesus and teaching others to do the same. So when we say missionary here at Love City, we mean those who are engaged in the mission that Jesus gave us, and that's to love God, love people, and make disciples. I want to read you a a short excerpt. Uh, This is a sermon preached in 1873 uh, by one Charles Spurgeon. He says this, Once more, he who really has this high estimate of Jesus will think much of him, and as the thoughts are sure to run over at the mouth, he will talk much of him. Do we so? I told you it was 1873, so just hang with me. If Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You will be whispering it into your child's ear. You will be telling it to your husband. You will be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Without the charms of eloquence, you will be more than eloquent. Your heart will speak and your eyes will flash as you talk of his sweet love. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. I'm going to read that again just in case you missed it. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Recollect that. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. Of course, I do not mean by that that those who use the pen are silent. They are not. And those who help others to use the tongue or spread that which others have written are doing their part as well. But the man who says, I believe in Jesus, but does not think enough of Jesus ever to tell another about him by mouth or pen or tract is an imposter. We ready? All right. Now we're cooking. So my hope today is to do two things as we study the scriptures together, okay? So the first is to convince you that if you belong to Jesus, you are indeed called to live your life as a missionary. The second is to give some shape and form to what that really looks like. And that's in hopes to ignite in some of you and to reignite in others a fire and passion for this glorious work of redemption that we are privileged to be a part of. So the question is, how do we live as missionaries in the time and location God has placed us? I'm going to give you three things. The first is, we live as light. We live as light. I'm going to read you Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. It says this, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Friends, I think it is high time that the people of God took these words of our Master seriously. If we did there would be no question left in our minds of whether or not we are called to be missionaries wherever we are. The question I would ask you is, does Jesus say here that we are one of the lights of the world? He doesn't. He says we are the light of the world. And this is hard for us, let's be honest. It's hard for us to conceptualize because we live in a world with a sun and moon and stars But what Jesus is doing here is he's speaking to the spiritual reality of things. 
This world is pitch black spiritually. And God has called us to provide the light. Are you starting to have a picture form in your mind? I hope you are. Think of getting locked in the closet by your older sibling when you were a kid. Or I don't know if you ever wandered in caves and whatever I, I did as a kid. I got in some spaces where you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. According to Jesus, without Christians, the world looks like that. Does our responsibility start to maybe crystallize in your mind a little more as you think through this? I hope it does. In Acts 2, God sent the Holy Spirit to indwell and equip the apostles with the power to be the light of the world. Remember, he told them to wait. You'll be my witnesses. And, and, and this is, it's even able to be clearly seen because they, they had the kind of the veil of the spiritual realm rolled back as they were able to see flames resting above the heads of the apostles that were there as they were filled with the Spirit and as they were empowered for ministry. If you aren't familiar with this, go check out Acts 2 later. There was a sound of a mighty rushing wind and each of them had, it says, like tongues of fire above them. God has given his people the ability to walk into a world with no light and to illuminate the spaces where they go. He has also given us the ability to share that flame with others by telling them the gospel and leading them to repent of sin and trust in Jesus so they are filled with his spirit and that they may now go and light up the places where they go. God has basically made us torches, <laughs> according to the scriptures. I'm not sure how you feel about that being your station in life. I'm real excited about it. <clears throat> Happy to be a torch for Jesus. Now, in a world that is pitch black, don't you think people walking around carrying a flame with them would create some curiosity, a ruckus, maybe? My question to just help us think through that, if, if we were able to black out all the windows in here, turn out all the lights so you couldn't see your hand in front of your face and I was to strike a match, where would every eye in the room go? Would it go to the match? Am I making that up? That's exactly where your eyes would go, correct? So if we imagine a world that's the same way and Christians are supposed to be this illuminating force, the very flame of God's glory walking with us as we go into this place spiritually, you would think we would be causing a scene. And some of you might be wondering then if, if what I'm saying is true and, and the world is actually pitch black spiritually and, and God's people are the ones who bear the only light, why it doesn't seem like people who are sick and tired of fumbling in the dark, why, why aren't they flocking to you and, and asking how they can have this light as well? I hope you're thinking that. I hope you're working through that. The reality is Jesus, he clearly sees the potential here for us to lose sight of our light-bearing mission. It's interesting as he talks about putting a, a lamp under a basket, he's, he's actually making fun of us. He's joking with us a little bit. He's poking us because of how ludicrous and ridiculous that is. Who would light a candle or a lamp and then stick it under a basket? What purpose then would it accomplish? But that's what he's doing. He's, he's poking at us because somehow... Like the Israelites of old, who not long after being uh, freed from the clutches of Pharaoh are complaining and reminiscing about leeks and onions back in Egypt and how much better that was than what it was God was providing now. And in the same way the Israelites did that, we somehow get to the place where we decide that fumbling in the dark was more enjoyable than, than bearing and sharing the light of Christ. 
It's foolish. But if we're honest, we know we all are prone to it in different ways. And many times, friends, it's not even a conscious decision that we make to place a basket over uh, the fiery light that God has given us in Christ. Many times it's not that we make a decision. We say, okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to retreat from my responsibility as a follower of Jesus to bring light into this world. Uh, many times we, we don't process it that way. Sometimes it's just the cares and the distractions of this world that they act like a bucket of water poured onto that flame, leaving nothing but smoldering coals, and they don't provide the light that they were intended to. You may get a little glow out of those coals as they begin to burn out, but it's, it's not what we're called to. It's not, it's not that blaze <laughs> that produces the kind of light that reflects the glory of God to the world. And so what do we do? Once we know the light and flame that we're meant to bear has been quenched by the waters of this world, what, what is there for us to do? Well, we repent, and we call on God to ignite us again in his great mercy, equipping us to once again engage in our mission. Praise God, his mercy is new every morning. Amen. The reality is, though, some of us hear that. We hear the way out of this place of disobedience, but as we sit here and, and we're honest, we feel like wet wood. Have you ever tried to start a fire with wet wood? It's an exceptionally frustrating process. It just doesn't happen. And some, some here, some listening now, they've been wet for so long, they can't even remember what it was like to have the light of the flame of God burn bright in their heart. It's a distant memory. Some of us are going through such struggle right now, it feels like every day new buckets of water are being poured out on us, keeping the flame of God from growing into the light-producing blaze it is supposed to be in us. The only way to burn wet wood is to get a fire going so hot that it can evaporate all that water and set that wood aflame. But we would do well to remember, friends, that just because we can't start fires with wet wood doesn't mean anything. We don't light this fire in ourselves the first time. It is the work of God's Spirit. And He is not limited one bit, no matter how soaked we are. Do any of you recall the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel? If you go to uh, 1 Kings 18, you can read this. Uh, one of my favorites, really like reading my kids about it, um, because, <clears throat> you know, as Christians, we're not supposed to make fun of people, but Elijah was making fun of everybody, and so I can really relate to him in that. He was having a good old time making fun of the prophets of Baal and everybody else that thought they were going to do their thing. So basically, he sets up this standoff because he's tired of everybody not being able to decide whether Baal is God or God is God. He's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to settle this right now. You build an altar, you set up your sacrifice, and you call upon your God, and uh, we'll see if he likes your sacrifice. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm, I'm going to set one up, and I'll call upon my God. Whoever's God shows up, lights this sacrifice on fire. That's the true God. Fair enough. Everyone's like, yeah, that'll work. So the prophets of Baal, they're, they're cutting themselves, doing all kinds of dances and whatever they can. They're trying to summon Baal to come light this thing. You know, Elijah starts saying, like, hey, is he asleep? What's, what happened? You know, is he relieving himself? I think in one, in one part he even says. So he's, he's getting after him. And so he lets them do their thing for a while. And finally he's like, okay, sit down. And he says, uh, he tells the people, go get some pots of water. 
and pour it all over this sacrifice that I've set up, all over the wood. Pour all those jars of water on. Okay, did you guys pour all that? That's a lot of water. Pour it all on there. Now go get more. Pour some more on there to the point where this, the whole trench around this thing that we dug to set up this altar, all of it's full of water. Everything's soaked with water. And he stands and he calls upon the God of Israel. And the God of Israel shows up. And that thing burns to the point, man, where there is nothing left and everybody that was even close to it gets burned to a crisp. Wet wood don't stop God. And so if you feel beat down, if you feel like it's been too much, I'm too tired, I don't know if I can come back from this, friend, what you need is a desire. Like the prodigal son, you need to turn and you need to run towards home and your father will meet you where you're at. He's merciful. He loves you. And he wants you set ablaze for his purposes, for his glory, because that is also, by the way, where you're going to have the most joy. This is exactly what you were made for. To be a torch. Praise God. In Malachi, the Almighty calls himself a consuming fire. The flame of his glory is so hot that no apathy and no struggle stands a chance in his presence. If you know that you are not walking in your destiny as a light bearer in this dark world, then draw close to your king and to his people. Let your flame be stoked into a blaze again. And share it with others out of love for God and out of love for them. This is the call of God to us today. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful sometimes as, as long as we are stagnant and apathetic, he continues to beckon us. He continues to say, come. Let me light you again. Let me blow upon those coals. Hallelujah. So the first way we live as missionaries in the time and place God has put us is we are called to live as light. The second is that we live as exiles. We live as exiles. I'm going to read you a portion of Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 4. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will have welfare. Now, you might be wondering, what does God's instruction to Babylonian exiles have to do with us living as missionaries? Well, you see, what was happening with Israel as they were taken captive by Babylon and removed from the promised land that whole thing is an echo of what happened to the whole human race when we were removed from Eden. The reality is, every person who's a son or daughter of God is in exile. So we need to know how to live as exiles. That's confirmed, just so you know that I'm not stretching a hermeneutic or trying to make something up to, to impress you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, many of you, if you have a different uh, translation than the New American Standard, I believe ESV, even CSB, uh, a few of the others will say actually say exile in the place of alien here. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. So Peter sees us clearly as alien strangers, exiles, in this time and place where we find ourselves. And what we have here, if you read on, Jeremiah, he begins to warn them. After he says to seek the good of the city where you are, he warns them, don't, don't listen to the false prophets. And 
that's part of what he's doing here. This whole thing is warning against those false prophets because they, they had come and they were, they were basically telling God's people, in two years' time, God's going to show up and you're going to be restored back to Jerusalem. Everything's going to be great, right? Because when you're a prophet um, or a pastor, people like it when you say nice things to them that encourage them, but they don't like it when you say things like what Jeremiah actually had to say, which was actually the word of the Lord, which was actually that they were going to be there 70 more years. So park it and figure out how to seek the good of the place where you are, because you're going to be here a while, okay? Not a cheery message, right? (laughs) You know, he probably wasn't voted as pastor of the year that year, but he actually was speaking uh, the words of the Lord, and so that's what's going on. And this this is one of the major differences, we need to say this, between our position as exiles and that of the Jewish nation in Babylon, because God has not given us a definitive timeline. Though he has told us through the Apostle Paul to make the most of the time we do have uh, because the days are evil. But, you know, the Jewish exiles knew 70 years, God's going to restore you back to Jerusalem. We don't know when the Lord Jesus is going to return. But let me say something to you with 100% clarity and conviction. He is going to return. And so what that does is it puts us in a position of needing to live as if Jesus could return before I finish my next sentence but also realizing that our great-great-grandchildren could still be awaiting his return. What then shall we do, right? That's not an easy place to be in. It's not an easy balance. These verses that talk about exile and it talks about seeking the good of the city, put roots down, build homes, this shows us one side of the coin. It shows us that we cannot retreat into bunkers with cans of pork and beans, and and by doing that, effectively take the light of the world and stick it under a basket. You guys have watched Preppers. You know what I'm talking about, right? I did this thing one time. This is is off topic, but I'm going to share this story with you because it's wretched, but also so that we don't do this here. So we did this fundraiser one time when I was a youth pastor. It was called Rent-A-Kid, and uh, we were raising money to go to camp or I don't know what that we were doing. We were doing something. We were raising money. And so we thought, people are generous. People, you know, they're great. They're going to have kids come over, rake a little bit or whatever, and they'll, they'll give, them, give them a generous pay. And so these are all minors, though, so they need someone to chaperone them. So I'm, you know, me and a couple of the other leaders, we're, we're taking people. And so this lady calls us. I don't even know where she came from, who the contact was. I probably couldn't trace it back or else I'd have laid into them. But anyway, so she said, we, i got to clean some stuff out of my basement. Okay, great. Y'all. This was an episode of Hoarders, 100%. There was a path that I had to do this through, and it was just stacked with, like, stacks and stacks of canned goods. And, and here's why the pork and beans reminded me of it. So we, I pick up one of the things, man, and it had been down there so long that the bottoms of the, of the cans were rusted, and it was all pork and beans, and it was all over me. And so here's, here's the moral of this story that has nothing to do with this sermon. If we need to do fundraising, we're not doing Rent-A-Kid. <laughs> B, do not have more than three or four cans of pork and beans in your house at any given time. Okay? There's no need for that. All right? And I think she gave us like $20. We were there all day. So at the end of, yeah, anyways, praise God, hallelujah. I've forgiven her. I have all the way in my heart. Nothing but love for her. It's okay. All right. If we just try to retreat, right, if we just create Christian monasteries and we all listen, and, and listen, man, I'm with you. I know sometimes news headlines hit and I'm like, sweet, 40 acres, 
whoever wants to come, let's just do it. You know what I mean? Because it can be scary. But the Lord has called us to a time and a place. And we're going to feel like exiles, and we should. There should be a constant against the grain discomfort as we are light in a pitch black world. As, as, as exiles, we must seek the welfare of the city where we've been sent. But our motivation for this is, is deeper than theirs ever could have been. Okay, Because God told these exiles through the prophet Jeremiah that for, to seek the welfare of the city, for in its welfare, you will have welfare. Right? So there's a kind of a self-serving element of that. And this, this is still true, right? This element is still there because, and this is part of why we do a lot of the outreach that we do here at Love City. Because when we pick up trash in neighborhoods, guess what? We get to live in cleaner neighborhoods. Like, great, right? That's awesome. Um, when we feed the poor in our city and we, and we try to help them take next steps to improve their situation, everyone who lives here benefits. And so there is an element to which we are seeking the betterment, human flourishing uh, within the place and the context that God has put us. But, but we have this added motivation that they couldn't have had. In fact, it would have sounded like nonsense to them. Because we don't just seek the welfare of those who love darkness because it helps us as well. We do it for their benefit, to serve them, not, not just because it, it makes it better for us, we do it to love and serve them. And, and, and to their ears, and maybe to many of yours today, you're like, what? What do you mean? Why would you ever want to make life better for those who set themselves up as your enemy? That seems counterintuitive on every level. Why would you do that? Well, we would do that because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Romans 5 verse 10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. When we seek for the good of the place that God has called us to be, our actions point to the precious truth of the gospel. And this is part of how you live as an exile in this foreign kingdom. Earlier, I read you 1 Peter 2, verse 11, just, just a moment ago. I want to read you 11 and 12 now together. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. That's from your boy Peter. We live his light. We live as exiles. And the third thing is, we live in, but not of this world. I'm going to read you a portion of Jesus' high priestly prayer. This is from John 17. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. We are in a precarious situation as followers of Jesus. Because we are called to live as exiles and to bear light as gospel missionaries 
in an environment where many people actually love the darkness. And not to mention, we always have the evil one working against us. If you heard Jesus pray there, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to protect them from the evil one. Our enemy is sly, though. I hate to give him any credit, but the Bible tells us clearly we need to know the schemes of our enemy so that we're not overtaken by them. Uh, he oftentimes, maybe I would, I would venture to say even most of the time, does not attack from the front in an obvious way. Many times it is simply by suggesting to us that the way of darkness really is better that our position as flame-wielding light bearers of God ends up being compromised. I saw a stark example of this uh, just this last week. We, we were out on the streets just loving folks and, and feeding them and praying for them. And uh, this one gentleman got, got his food and he said, said something to the effect of, thank you guys so much. I was, really, I was thinking on some stuff that was really going to head me down a wrong path and this, this helped me snap me out of it. And so I kind of keyed in on him and, and went in for a conversation. And as we talked, he began to kind of lay out how, how difficult his life has been and he's got sons that he's tired of seeing them struggle and and he was talking to me about the real reality of this inner turmoil he has uh, of whether or not he should sell his soul to the devil for wealth. And this was not a joke. This was not hyperbole. This is really where he was at. And, and I understand. He's looking at his son struggling. He's been, according to him, been raised in an environment where there, it's, it's only drugs and sex and all of this type of stuff, and he just doesn't, doesn't see a way out and doesn't think there's much redeemable about him. And so uh, was about to, and I don't know to what degree, you know, people talk about that, selling your soul to the devil. You know, has he really had a conversation with some kind of spiritual force? I don't know. Maybe he saw a movie where someone did that, so he thinks it's possible. But I think also it's possible that Satan could work in that way with certain people. I'm not sure. The Bible's not very clear about it. Uh, but the bottom line is he was tired of suffering and really, really contemplating this, um, kind of making this exchange. And uh, I asked him how he would feel if I bought something from him and he found out later that I paid him with a counterfeit bill. Um, and I can't repeat his response because it contained a fair amount of profanity, but he basically responded that he would be very angry if I bought something from him and then he found out that I had paid him with a counterfeit bill. And, and so I, what I went on to tell him was that anything the devil may offer him for his allegiance is only a counterfeit of some pure and good thing that God offers uh, thankfully, he also allowed me to pray for him that God would set him free from slavery to the lust of the flesh and love of money and open his eyes to the beauty of the gospel. Um, this gentleman that I'm referencing, he, he is yet to have his eyes fully open to the truth. Um, we keep praying for him. Hopefully, I'll run into him again. But here's the truth. Even those who have had their eyes open to the truth, even those who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, can still be tricked into living as if they are of this dark temporal kingdom. Not in it as a missionary, but the influence begins to flow the wrong way. They begin to be pulled into and, and, and camouflaged by and then covered over by the darkness. 
This is a real possibility, something we need to be aware of, pray against, look at uh, and look at out for in one another, speak truthfully to one another about in love. Amen? You do, you do want people within the household of faith to judge you out of love, right? If you're slipping, you do like that, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled about that. Amen. He has not had his eyes opened, uh, but we sometimes, even as believers, we can forget that our citizenship is in heaven, as is said in Philippians. But we must not forget it, friends. We must not forget where our kingdom is and who our king is. I, I mean, you hear about it. You see it in movies. People go on a mission. They'll be, they'll be out there so long, man, they forget why they're there. They get wrapped up in, in the environment that they're in. It happens to us often. We've got to push back against it. We live in but not of this world to the glory of God. The point of all this is that we must find the balance between living in this world as holy bearers of the light of Christ's gospel, but also remembering this is not our home. It's a tough balance. We can't retreat into seclusion or get so comfortable that we are dimmed down and of no use in our mission. How are we going to do that? How are we going to strike that balance? How are we going to know where we're at? How are we going to keep our bearings? Well, dear friends, it's going to be a humble acknowledgement and reliance of our inadequacy to do any of it and our great need for the help of God's Holy Spirit. We can't do any of this without him. That's why Jesus told those brothers, sit there and wait before you go to be my witnesses. And he showed up, put flames of fire on top of them, lit them up, made torches out of them. Then Peter rolled out in the street started preaching straight fire at everybody, and 3,000 people got saved. You need the Holy Ghost's help. My hope, friends, in hearing the word of God call you to be ambassadors of the gospel and bearers of light and exiles in this world. My hope is that your heart is stirred to rise up and to walk in the divine purpose God has for you right where you are. I know every single one of us could roll out an entire scroll's worth of excuses why right now I can't live as an exile. I can't live as a light bearer. We've all got them. But what we functionally have to say is that any one of those excuses, we have to put those in a place of greater power than the God who has called us to live this way. Functionally, what we're saying is excuse A means God is impotent. Excuse B means God is unwilling to help me like he said he would, thus not true to his word. See, we don't do that. We just say the excuse and hope somebody takes it and then we, you know, skirt off to the... But let's just call it what it is. Every one of the excuses we have to not bear light, to not live as exiles, to not be missionaries where we are for the glory of God, for the furthering of his gospel. Every excuse that we have is an absolute attack upon the character and nature of God. You have to stand in stark opposition to what he has said, what he has promised. Basically, you just have to flat out say, I don't believe you, God. 
Now, how many of you, if forced to do that in order to have your excuses, are willing to walk that plank? No hands. Good. That's great. Amen. My hope is that your heart has been stirred. My hope is that both conviction and encouragement have simultaneously gripped your heart, that you see a vision and a way forward to accomplish, to fulfill what it is God has called you to where you're at. There are people at your job. There are people in your neighborhood. They are fumbling in the dark, and they are tired, and they are ready to know that there is hope, real hope, and joy and peace to be found, and it's found in Christ alone. There are people in your family that need you to stop being scared of them and scared of their reactions and to be bold and tell the truth. Now, if you live like this, if you live like light in a pitch black world, are you going to bump into people that want nothing to do with you, that love their darkness and they just want to do that right now? Absolutely you are. But friend, you're also going to find some that have been groping and searching and reaching for this God who made them and loves them and you'll have the opportunity to be a part of showing them how to be with him. The ministry of reconciliation. That's what it is. Hallelujah. Are are you over the fact that God would allow us to be ambassadors of the ministry of reconciliation? Are you over the fact that he would trust us? Do you know us? And yet, he has placed this most precious of jewels in our hand and said, go, go and show. Go and tell them. Let them all know they can come to me if they're thirsty, and I'll make sure they're never thirst again. They can come to me if they're hungry. I'm going to give them bread that means they don't ever have to be hungry again. Hallelujah. And may we no longer stand on, stand on the sidelines with our pitiful excuses. Let us be the missionaries God has called us to be in the places where he has placed us to be for his glory. May we see ourselves the way God sees us, of redeemed people who've been set free to accomplish the most important mission in all of history. That mission is the spreading of Christ's glorious gospel to as many people as possible. May we not only see ourselves as missionaries in theory, but walk out this reality in practice for the good of the city where God has placed us and for the glory of his name. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for laying out in no uncertain terms what you expect of us. We thank you, God, that you are not vague or unclear in your expectations. Thank you for laying upon us the wondrous and beautiful responsibility of being gospel ambassadors. God, the fact that you would send me to represent you anywhere is mind-blowing. But I thank you, you've not sent me to do it without also equipping me for it. I know in and of myself I have nothing to show, but because you, oh God, have come and filled me with your spirit, because you have filled us with your spirit, we have something to give, something to say. We have a light that we could have never had on our own that we can bear. God, I ask that you would that you would stoke and you would blow upon the coals of the hearts of every person within the sound of my voice. God, I ask that you would tear to shreds every excuse that keeps them from engaging in this wondrous and beautiful mission that you have called us to and that you have invited us to be a part of. 
God, may we see ourselves as missionaries. May we we walk into the grocery store. Let us not be confused by that artificial light that allows us to see with our physical eyes. Let us know that every single place we walk into is pitch black spiritually and that there are those groaning and hoping for reconciliation with the God that made them, looking for that thing that they can tell they were made for something more. God, help us to be the light that meets them where they're at and takes them by the hand and leads them to be reconciled to the God who made them and loves them and has a purpose for them. God, I ask you to stir in us a passion. Lord, a passion like never before. God, we need Holy Spirit fire to do these things. We've all heard this. This is just another way to say the same thing, God, that we're saying every single week, to go and to make disciples. God, we need you to come and to do something in us that is undeniable. We need you to stir us in a way that can't be denied. God, I ask you to agitate us, break in us whatever must be broken, that you can build in us what is needed, that we can walk as glorious torches declaring the great merit of your kingdom and the beauty of its king. God, do in us, please, what only you can do. We know and we fully acknowledge to pray this way means it's going to cost us something. But God, it's nothing compared to what we gain. So we thank you for the future glory that we look forward to. We thank you for the beautiful reality of what we have now in relationship with you. God, help us to walk in these things for the glory of your name, for the good of your kingdom. We love you. We exalt you and we worship you alone because you're the only one worthy. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www dot mylovecitychurch dot org